Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanderers of Milsonda for The Accidental Aliens. Yeah, and I'm Keith Foster. I'm the managing, a managing partner of Invader Comics, and I write the comics Kadoja and Three Protectors. And I am currently hosting a smooth jazz channel on the side, as you can tell by my voice. <laughs> so apologies for that, but uh, I have a bit of a cold, not COVID-related. Yeah. Uh, I took a couple yeah, of yeah, tests. You, yeah, you get the Lisa Kudrow friends mention. It's your turn. My sticky shoes. <laughs> Don't you stick on me, my babies. Okay. <laughs> All right, my friends. So I see you sipping something there. It's a very dark-looking beverage. What do you got going on there? It is. You'll be you'll be happy to know that even though you're probably not drinking, right? Like you said before this. Well, I, I don't know. I, I don't know that yet. We haven't gotten to you. But um, so I, I think we mentioned before that uh, that way back around, I think it was, I, it may have been right, it might have been Christmas or maybe even the one we did with Gary a couple weeks before, like a month before Christmas, Gary was drinking a pastry stout by the brewery with a u and then i asked this whole thing on like where is that that sounds familiar yeah it's practically in my backyard it is it is it is no more than five miles from where i work it is in uh placentia california (laughs) and um with an there's an eye there there's an eye there that stout sounded so interesting that i ended up going to the brewery in fact that's where i went with martin vavra a couple weeks ago and they have all kinds of awesome ass sweet bourbon barrel aged stouts and i bought some and look they are pricey right mm-hmm. like these the, like for a can it is no joke what you are paying for one can but the one i got is called all the cows it is a bourbon barrel aged imperial milk stout with milk sugar and madagascar vanilla oh. beans and it is hold it let me let me let me do my photo 13.7% motherfuckers. Oh, wow. Wow, holy cow. I'm not I'm 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 not fucking the fuck around. <laughs> like we got we got so much stuff to talk about tonight, you know. Oh, oh do we? Oh, it it's it the rebirth of basketball. We're back. We're back at the end of this. We're actually going to talk some basketball. I got shit to talk about. So, yeah, man, it's it is goddamn delicious. I don't know what it is about these brewery high ABV things, but like they know what they're doing with these sweet pastry dessert ish uh, stouts, especially the bourbon barrel ones. So yeah, man, the problem with this is it's hard to sip because it's so tasty. Like I'm tempted to chug it, but I don't want to go to the hospital. So, (laughs) (laughs) so I'm going to, I'm going to have to do my best to nurse this, even though it's absolutely delicious. Yeah. How about you, man? That happens. I had a couple of good uh, bourbon, bourbon barrel beers, over the holidays, I think it was the, um, oh shit, it was like a chocolate something or other, babka, chocolate babka stout. Yeah. And that thing was fantastic, and I wanted to drink it super quick. That and the tiramisu, uh, both of those were excellent, so I know what you mean. Um, yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm under the weather, and uh, right now I am sipping some tea, uh, just trying to, you know, it's a sore throat and congested. I've been having, I got the spray and I've been spraying my throat. So it actually feels a lot better. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a lot of liquids and juices and, um, and tea and everything like that, but the congestion's still there and, yeah. uh, you know, hopefully in a day or two it passes. So we'll see. We'll yeah, see man. Well, the shoes on the other foot, cause these roles were re- reversed for us a couple months ago, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Like there was yeah. an episode or two where I was fighting the cold and I was just drinking water. So when, when you look back on this, you'll see one set of footsteps. 
And that's because that's where I carried you, my friend. <laughs> you Jesus? <laughs> <laughs> right on, man. Well, what was the first thing you got into this week? Yeah, I mean, we should we should have this be a bit of a travelogue, right? Because the first thing I got into is really the first place I went this week, which is there's some fun things to talk about. And there's also a craft thing or two to talk about. And that is I went to Paris. I went to Paris. It was a it was an absolutely bonkers trip. Um, we left it Thursday on a uh, on Thursday at a f- at four o'clock, I think, roughly. And we got back into L.A. Monday at one. Just to give you an idea, I mean, that is a nine, we talked about it last week, that is a nine hour time zone difference, right? It is It is absolutely insane. My kid fenced really well. She ended up uh, 29th out of 173. Oh, wow. And, uh, and the people above her were, were quite fucking good. She finished ahead of people that are very, very good. So, That's awesome, man. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, it was great. And, uh, and I think one of the things that worked to her advantage is that, um, that she stays up late. Because when she fences on the East Coast, sometimes her body clock's fucked because she's fencing at 5 a.m. body clock time. Uh-huh. Well, the nice thing about Paris is an 8 a.m. Paris tournament is 11 p.m. L.A. body clock time. Uh-huh. Well, guess what? She stays up late. So I actually, I actually did. I said, like, with three days to the trip, I said, babe, you're never going to hear me say this again for these next couple nights. I want you to stay up as late as possible. <laughs> I want you to stay up as late as possible. And she was like, you could tell she looked at me like, what in the fuck are, are you talking about? And what have you done to Keith? Right. Mm. I, I told her, I'm like, it's at 11 PM. That's when you're really going to start fencing. So if you stay up to 2 AM, 3 AM, then that's going to be the duration of your fencing tournament. And your body's probably going to be ready for it. And I did really feel that like the way to fight jet lag with her is just to go to Europe. <laughs> you know, it was completely <laughs> insane. Completely insane. But um, in terms of Paris itself, again, it was my first time. It was awesome. I mean, you know, the highlights were going to the Louvre. I did not go into the Louvre because the Louvre, you know, people say the Louvre is enormous. The Louvre is fucking enormous. The Louvre is three city blocks by two city blocks. Oh, it is. It is massive. When when you're when you see it from the other side of the the Seine of, of of the river, it looks like someone tipped the Empire State Building on its side. You know what I mean? Like oh, wow. that's how goddamn long it is along the river. And it felt like we walked forever just to get to the inner courtyard because the one thing, one of the two things I absolutely had to see was the glass pyramid in front of the Louvre that was designed by the architect I M Pei, and it is fucking cool man it was so cool and uh and my kid she was like she she was recounting it to to her sisters when we were on a call the other day and she was like she was like and then we're standing in the courtyard and Keith's like I gotta touch it and I did I just had to walk up to it I'm like I have to touch this pyramid you know and uh and I did and I can't say I felt any special energy or anything but it was wonderful like I was there and it was one of the things I wanted to do and I took some really cool pictures and um so I was happy about that. And then the other thing that, of course, I had to do was the very, very touristy thing of going to the Eiffel Tower. Yeah, of course. And on, on one hand, the Eiffel Tower is touristy like you think. It is, it is Disneyland meets, like, the mall because that's where all the underage kids go to hang out on a Saturday night because we went on a Saturday night because of the way the schedule worked out. 
So on one hand, it was totally what it was. Like these motherfuckers set up and did like a dumb dance thing where they're like b-boying and shit. I'm not a big fan of like turning landmarks or things like that into forums for your stupid thing. Right. Like I, I mean, and and people were entertained, and and I suppose it's that that's like that's what people's standards are these days, which really puzzles me. Like, you know you're a real landmark when a bunch of knuckleheads set up and do, like, b-boy dancing that's quote-unquote free until 20 minutes in they walk around with a hat and ask for donations. You right. know, so it's like, it's like I don't know, there's, some, there's something just very off about that in my head, and I think I've probably just said what it is, but so that was weird. But yet, on the other hand, man, it's the Eiffel fucking Tower. It's as awesome as advertised. It's just really cool to look at. It's It was cool to take a picture of it and say, this is a picture I took with my phone because I was standing there. Yeah. You know, and uh, and that's what was so great about it. I mean, the other stuff is, it's obvious, but still worth saying. I'm just trying to kind of hit the high notes. The bread there, the bread in France, it's as good as advertised, dude. Huh. The bread, The bread makes bread in the United States look like a fucking joke because it is. It's... <laughs> It's it's sad and pathetic. Like we went to the grocery store the other day just to stock up, and I love those Jimmy Dean um, uh, microwavable croissant sandwiches. And when I and and when my wife said, "What do you want?" I sent it in a text. I was like, I feel embarrassed using the word croissant for this sandwich because <laughs> it is such a bullshit croissant shaped piece of bread compared to the actual croissants I had in France that were just bonkers, dude. Like. Like everything is good, absolutely right. everything. I went, we went, we were in um, Chinatown. That's where our hotel was, or our Airbnb. So we were in like Chinatown, and we ended up getting banh mi's one day. And I'm not even a big fan of banh mi's, but this banh mi was a freaking amazing, and the bread was so good. And the thing about banh mi's are the bread's good anyway, right? You know, like like that's one of the, that's one of the main points that people like when they say like oh dude I had this bon meat the bread was the shit you know mm-hmm. um but this this blew all bon mis away it was like one bon me to rule them all it was it was <laughs> fucking amazing uh it was so good and that was just par for the course there like absolutely everything bread related was excellent um so that was that was the thing that really blew me away i I guess I can get to the one thing that in terms of productivity I was actually kind of surprised I shouldn't have been but I had big goals on the kind of stuff I was going to get done while I was over there. And it turned out that they were the same as any workday. You know, like I, I did a little bit of editing on the plane. I didn't do a ton of work on the plane either way, even though I was on a plane for nine and a half hours one way and 12 the other way. It's just you're not because I think because of the time zone change, because your body clock's just wonky. You know, like I stayed awake a lot, but that doesn't mean I was like, awake and energized you know like there's this certain state where you're tired and you don't want to go to sleep but you also have no inclination to create anything and that's pretty much where I was for the bulk of the trip so I got some work done but I didn't get much work done that said there were some great examples of of the kind of stuff that like if you're a writer you should really consider doing and you know in my case like I can't turn it off and since Eden writes too, you've got two out of three people that kind of live that writing lifestyle and just do their best to think it and breathe it. And we tried to make a point to write down some overheard dialogue that we've that we liked because you know we've mentioned this before. Like dialogue, the best way to understand dialogue is listen to people talk, listen to how they say things, listen to the way they phrase things, listen to listen to what they don't say, listen to what they're trying to infer. 
instead of what they're actually saying. So I'm going to share a few. I want to share a few because I thought they were pretty funny and also because I have no intention of ever using them. So I won't care if like somebody else uses them. This one, um, we were walking along the Seine, right, the, the first night, and we saw, like, Notre Dame Cathedral, and we were walking to the Louvre, and there were these British dudes that were kind of passing us, and this is all the, the dialogue we heard. One per- and people in, in England, forgive my accent. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher it, but, you know, I'm making a good faith effort here. <laughs> so one person's like, that's a neat bridge. And then the <laughs> other guy's like, yeah, if you're into that sort of thing, and he's like, and he says, I am. I like gargoyles. <laughs> so anyway, and it was it was this bridge right right near the Louvre where like there's all these fucking heads just like baked into it. So I just what what Eden and I were both tripping out about was how funny it was that the guy went like, I am. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, anyway, so that was fun. And then the other thing I it's thought like, was funny was that's why I fucking pointed out to you, asshole. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know? That's what oh, that's what's so funny about it. Yeah. Yeah. It was just such a if you're into that sort of thing, you know. It's like, well, I told you because I am into that sort of thing. <laughs> um, but then the other one I thought was funny was we made friends with a couple parents, and one of the parents was from Switzerland. Switzerland. You know, a lot of these countries, the way they speak English, they sound very British. But the closer you get to them, you realize that there are different intonations of how people from Switzerland speak, which right. apparently has some British influence versus people from the UK versus, of course, and then, of course, there's more than one region from the UK. So if you're from Wales, you're going to speak differently than if you're from London, you know, et cetera, right. et cetera. Right? Right, right. I wish I was better on my UK geography, but I think um, I think that that drives it home a little bit. We had compared notes at, at the parent level. And then I guess this isn't even my story. Apparently, Eden was re- retelling it to me. But uh, I think after pool, the woman came up to, to Rachel and said, you know, how, how, how'd your daughter do? You know, that kind of thing. And she said, oh, no, she did pretty well. Like, how, how'd your daughter do? She said, my, my daughter got slaughtered. <laughs> and, and she said she was, she was crying and yelling and she was very upset. And, uh, and then she was just crying and yelling at me. And I said, I think I'll fuck off now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I use fuck off a lot. Which is which is great, and and I think you know again it's it's interesting because just to hear just to hear like a, a fencing mom just casually say like I think I'll fuck off now yeah 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 in a lot of ways that conveys so much of the difference between Europe and and the United States right and uh, the more the more I'm in Europe the more I realize it just aligns so closely to more it cl- aligns closely to like the kind of person I am. And, you know, one of my favorite lest we forgets in the world is lest we forget that this country was founded by a bunch of religious extremists who are too hardcore for Europe right. because who are obsessed with their freedom, because I, th- I feel like that sentence in a lot of ways explains the United States very well. <laughs> you know, we we haven't gotten out of that out of our DNA in 400 plus years. You right. Know? So, yeah. Anyway, we're very, anyway. Uh, very uptight when it comes to language, sex nudity all that kind of stuff we're very mm-hmm. very uptight and we're uh, not we're not uptight about having a whole lot of guns though that's right take that <laughs> shit yeah america <laughs> america yeah um anyway so uh, one one final note that i thought was really interesting was this was the first country i've been to where i didn't have english as a crutch and you know to to recap the traveling i've done most of this was on business I've been to Mexico a few times, actually, on recreation. But the thing about going to Mexico is I took four years of high school Spanish and three years of college Spanish. 
So while I can't speak it that well, I could punch my way through some basic stuff if I have to in places like Mexico. So Mexico, even though Spanish is the dominant language, it, it was never that intimidating because I, I know it a little bit. Again, I can, I can fart my way through it if I have to. I've also been to the UK a couple times on business, but they speak English in the UK. I've been to Norway once and Finland once for fun. Finland is is much less English speaking than Norway, but you can still you can still do just fine in both countries speaking English. I've been to Germany where I mean a bunch of people speak English, but German is obviously predominant. But the thing about all my trips to Germany was they were like day job trips where I traveled with other coworkers. So you're going through Germany, but you're in your little bubble of people that speak English and you're going to other places. And those people are speaking English to you because you speak English. So you walk around in this little like hamster bubble, kind of insulated from from being part of the quote unquote, you know, real country and having to fend for yourself. So this was the first time where I had to do that. And uh, boy, you feel really dumb. You feel really left handed. You know, um, it's and I found the whole thing fascinating. I wasn't necessarily intimidated by it. For those of you that feel similar like that and you might find yourself in weird places, Google Translate is a godsend because not only can you translate words, it reads signs. You can hold up a camera through Google Translate and it translates the fucking sign. It translates menus. It does all this shit. And that's probably intuitive to everybody. But boy, was that a helpful thing to lean on. You I don't know? think but, that is, to be honest with you. That's pretty It's pretty cool to know. Yeah, if people don't know that, dude, it's amazing. Like... I, I had it downloaded on my phone, and uh, my wife and kid repeatedly, when we were in restaurants, they're like, can, can I see your phone so I can just point the Google camera at it so I can understand what the hell's on this thing? And uh, and it, it was it's killer. So that really helped. I, I ordered uh, sparkling water that way. I said, can I have this? And and the words were on my phone. When you when you look up something and then turn it sideways on Google Translate, it just, it, it, it like shows it on the whole screen like it's a Jeopardy screen. It's it's really cool the way they did all this shit. Mm. And uh, they were able to be like, oh, yes, 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 I will get this. You know, that kind of thing, right? You know, people say that traveling abroad really gives you perspective. And it gave me some good perspective, you know, because in this country we have it too. People speak a language, not English. Now that now that the shoe's been on the other foot, I can really relate. You know, I, I often I often wonder... I mean, you're, you, you're going to know this, Scott, because to me, I'm, I'm part of a, you know, my wife is Filipino and obviously I have connections to tons of Filipino aunties and uncles. They're, they're my aunties and uncles now, you know, and a lot of times they'll say these things and they'll be like, you speak Tagalog. Like they get so excited when they find out someone speaks Tagalog. And I felt some of that when I was in France because we did a walking tour one time with this guy who spoke fluent English. And of course, he speaks it in English. And I was doing this walking tour with these people who all spoke English. And we were talking in English in between the spots on the walking tour. And I got excited because I was like, wow, I can I can communicate at something at a, at a higher level than a one year old. Hell, you know, it really gave me that sort of perspective of like, that's what it is everywhere, you know, much less here when people are more comfortable with the language they they grew up with. And, and you feel very left handed if you're trying to use the native language. So anyway, wonderful trip. I love doing it. It was a whirlwind. I'm not as productive as I had hoped, but that's okay. It was some great experience stuff. And, and I did manage to hear plenty more dialogue things that I like the ones I mentioned, but you know, those are staying in my journal for when I want to use them. Nice, man. Yeah, I actually like that dialogue with those two dudes. Maybe I'll use it. It sounds like something fun, you know? Um, I could even see that in Kadoja. Like, it's a scene change, and like Kadoja's jumping to a new 
you know, location, and this is these two dudes bullshitting about a bridge, and yeah. then and then Kadoja lands on the bridge, <laughs> and then jumps to the next location. You know, um, I had a pretty productive week overall. Honestly, it feels like I'm not as productive as I think I am. Then I when I look back, I'm like, oh, I did get a good amount done. I just feel like I have way more time, and I'm not utilizing it um, like I should. Unfortunately. Like, being sick has really hampered my ability to work during the day. Like, I just feel exhausted and um, don't feel like doing much. And I can, like, stay focused for about maybe 15 minutes at most. And then I'm just, I'm drained and I need to get up and do something else, lay down or whatever. I'm glad you tested negative for the Rona because a lot of those things sound very symptomatic of Rona. But you probably just got a mild flu. Right. And and that's the problem, though, is, like, everything is a symptom of, of the Rona. You know what I mean? Oh, you have a cough, you have, have the, you have COVID, you know? Oh, you sneezed, you have COVID. Come on. Let's totally, it's, it's, it's fucking flu season. Dude, I've done this twice myself. I've done, yeah, yeah, totally. I've done this twice myself. I had a sore throat and I'm like, fuck, do I have COVID? Cause you have to know. So then I go track down some self test and Hey, what do you know? I was negative because of course I was, you Mm -hmm. know? So anyway, yeah, I did, um, I did two and I did, um, I think three or four days apart just to be safe. You know, it's just like, okay, is it? All right, when do you start feeling this way? Okay, well, you should. You need to test three days after you started feeling it. I'm like, okay, well, I got one more day. The next day I take it, and then, okay, it's negative. And I'm like, all right, well, let me wait two or three more days and took it today. I'm in the clear. So I didn't feel like it was that. Um, you know, it was just like, no, I feel like I have a cold. Like, and I don't feel, I don't know. There was one time, not, not this round, but uh, there was another time where I felt like I had the symptoms. I'm like, are you sure I don't have it? Cause it kind of sounds like what everyone's described this one, yeah. this one I recognize, I recognize mm-hmm. the way I feel. Yeah. That's, um, that's, and that's a great way of putting it. Cause when I got those couple, I got one sore throat one time and I got something else the other time. And the only reason I was concerned was because it was not my typical pattern. I know exactly how I get colds. I know all the phases. I know the timing, all that. And when this didn't follow it, it's like, oh boy, what have we here? Yeah. But uh, uh, Daniela brought home the neti pot and that was, that felt crazy. Have you ever used that? I have not, but I'm familiar with it. Yeah. So the people out there don't know, it's a set, it looks like a little kettle, um, a little, little water kettle, tea kettle, and you have the solution, you pour some water in it, you mix it up. And you essentially pour the spout in one nostril while tilting your head, and it comes out your other nostril, and it kind of cleans you out. And um, she brought it home, and I did it, and I felt amazing. Um, since then, obviously, it's it's the the nasally sound has come back, uh, but I'm gonna do it, it. It recommends only one to two times a day, so I'm gonna do it once before night, so I can, or right, right before bed, so I can try to get some sleep. Um, Work wise, so very productive how much stuff is it was that your whole week as far as things go should i knock it all out i have three things in decreasing order of importance okay okay cool um so the biggest thing is i started wanders of milisanda three uh like i said in the last episode long past due but i'm already done with a double page spread and that has um not two but three kickstarter backers i forgot there was a third one it was one of my buddies he hit me up after it was over and was like, hey, man, can I get one of those spots? And I was like, yeah, for sure. So he paid to uh, be a, a, a guest star, like a, a background actor in the issue. So I drew him in, in that double-page spread. There's a lot of room for people. So um, I put him and another buddy um, who donated to the second shift. 
and he just gave me a hundred bucks and just no reward because he has all my books. He goes, I have everything. So I didn't, I didn't know what to choose. So here's a hundred dollars. And I was like, all right, well, here's the book. And then uh, yeah. I'll throw you in the background of an issue, you know? And I'm giving you something for this $100. Yeah, exactly. I don't want anyone to feel like they've been taken advantage of, you know? It's just yeah. like... And, and I, it's funny because I just had that conversation with uh, one of the guys. And he was... Because he was just like, hey, am I in this issue? And I'm like, are you in this issue? And he goes, well, do you remember this conversation? I said, like, dude, totally. I, I remember now. Thank you for saying something. He was like, oh, thank goodness. Thank you for responding that way. I felt really awkward bringing it up. So mm. it's just like, no, no, no. I feel awkward if I didn't put you in and you paid me to do it. You know what I mean? It's just like, I don't want anyone yeah. to feel like, hey, I paid for this and I never got it. And that's how I feel when someone backs the project and they never respond to the survey. And like, I try my best to get a hold of them any way I can and I can't get a hold of them. So their rewards never get sent out. And then they mm -hmm. just never back another project. And it's just like, well, I feel awful. Did you, did you not back the project again because I never sent you your rewards? Or yeah. because you're just like, nah, here's some money, you know, this time, but I got other stuff to do. So it's always mm -hmm. this weird feeling I have, you know? Yep. Yeah, so that was number one. Um, I finished the two-page spread, and that that was super fun to do. It was about 10 hours, 10 and a half hours, but it knocks out two pages, so you can look at it like five hours a page. So that's not bad. And I've already started on the third page. The Well, technically the first page, the double page spread is page two and three. So I went in reverse order and uh, I'm starting on page one and I'm on the third panel of page one. So I've been doing a panel a day for the last three days. Yes, sir. All right. So for me, the second thing is that I, we, well, we finished the Freaks and Gods Kickstarter. So that just finished a few days ago. It funded it funded at, I think, 145%. So if you are listening and you backed it and you were so inclined because of the conversation with Chris or you you weren't, but you backed it anyway, thanks. You know, um, it was it was cool to see it, it rallied. I mean, you know, we've had conversations inside Invader about like the dead middle and how you combat the dead middle. And uh, man... I don't know. If anybody figures that out, you can tell me because there's just this dead middle for all these things and there's only so much you can do. And it, and it's like clockwork for a lot of them. You know, it's just crazy the way it works. So anyway, it did fund. And, um, and, and so I'm looking through our invader schedule and what we have, you know, because just, just planned. And I noticed that. So, so fun fact, if you in fact backed the freaks and gods Kickstarter, you are going to get a bonus. And one of those little bonuses is you're going to get an ash can of the next Kadoja issue. That's great. I have to make that ash can and I need to do it this weekend. <laughs> so I looked at it. I was like, oh, fuck. I haven't even made this ash can yet. <laughs> so I still have a little bit of time um, because Diamond hasn't even given us the order for Freaks and Gods yet, which is super unusual. They are 10 days late in terms of their normal because... Freaks and Gods was listed in last month's previews as well, and we haven't received that order yet. So without that order, we can't order Freaks and Gods because we don't know the numbers. And therefore, I don't feel that bad about not having this ash can ready. But yeah, I was actually leading up to this podcast. I was looking through the art that Will did, and I'm just trying to make this decision on what I want the ash can to look like. So I think what I'm going to do is let's just go with the first five pages are going to be full on like inks and tones. And I, this weekend, I have to go in there and letter them. Um, and there's more to it, come to think of it. 
But you know what? I'm going to save that for next week because why talk about it twice when I can just talk about it next week after I do it? So that's going to be one of my big projects over the next few days is to get that ash can um, print ready. And uh, it'll be a big task of mine over the weekend, but uh, it'll be fun. Nice, man. That's cool. Uh, what was your guys' delivery date for the Kickstarter? So it like, just ended, so... Um, yeah, just how much ended, time so did you guys give yourselves? May. We did May. We we basically okay. did a three-month lead time on a... I mean, the book's done. Printer lead times... I don't know if you've dealt a whole lot with this because a lot of your printers are like local, but our printer, they upped their lead time to us. After we did Dr. Crow, they just came back and we're like, we're like here's the order. And they said, okay, hey, our lead time went up from two weeks to four and print oh. print went up 20%. Whoa. You're welcome. <laughs> you know, and uh, so that was like, oh shit, you know, so we didn't really meet the diamond date, but the good news is we baked in more time on the Kickstarter end, so we're going to meet that date with no problem. So yeah, in general, we're doing a three month out from when the Kickstarter finishes. So May is when people should be receiving this. Okay, cool. And uh, boy, if lead times keep on going up, then maybe we make that a four-month thing. But, you know, you don't you don't want to go too crazy with it either. So, yeah, May is when I expect these books to ship to everybody, if not a little bit sooner. Nice. Um, okay, so the PDFs to Second Shift 10 and 12 are both done loosely. Um, so I have finished all of the pages. I finished all the credits, back matter pages, all of that stuff, the indicia. And I sent them over to Tristan Whitehouse to uh, make into PDFs. So I'm just kind of waiting on him. Like, he's in the process of doing commissions, so he's a little backed up at the moment. And uh, But hopefully he can get me to that, get me those in a day or two. Uh, issue 10 has already been looked over once. He created one PDF for it, and I sent it to my editor as well as Ed. Um, I like to have them give it another once over just, you know, just to make sure... All of our uh, I's and T's are dotted and crossed, and uh, there were some typos, and there were some adjustments to be made, so those were taken care of, and they were good adjustments. And uh, yeah, so Tristan, hopefully we'll put that together. I corrected them all, sent them over to him. Um, issue 12 still needs to be looked over, and um, I think that one's probably going to be good to go. I, I looked it over a couple of times, but hey, who knows? I'm Shit, I missed all the ones on the previous one, so who knows? Um, so I'm looking forward to getting those back. Something something I didn't account for, or something I counted wrong with in issue 12 was, there's two pages that were one file. There are two page, like, splashes, essentially. And um, so I was counting the files, and I'm like, shit, I only have 27 pages. I need 28. Fuck. Okay. All right, oh, there's a, there's a splash page, or a, a pinup, that uh, one of the aliens, Death, uh, Death did. And I was like, oh, shit, I, I was supposed to put his splash in there. That's the missing page. So I'm like, I can't have it black and white. I was like, let's get this thing colored. So I flatted it, sent it to Joaquin and said, hey, can you knock this out for me? He said, yeah, no problem. I'll get it done by Tuesday. Boom, knocks it out. In the process of knocking it out, however, I go over the count again. And I'm like, oh, shit. One of the back matter pages is a double page spread also. So I had the 28 pages and I had made this adjustment on the letters page. Hey, check out death's super kick-ass pinup, you know, and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, fuck, now I have no room for it. Or and, you have to do three more pages. Right. Yeah. And and that's not going to happen. So it's just, uh, 
you know, I, I contacted him and I said, hey, man, good news, bad news. Good news is I got your pinup colored by my colorist. Check it out. It's pretty awesome, huh? Bad news yeah. is it's not going to be on until the, the, you know, the next issue. And he said, exactly. and no worries, man. It's, um, he did it for fun anyway. He just like, yeah, totally. He, he totally. had a, a little time off and, uh, he wanted to get the, the pencils going again. So he's like, Hey, I'm going to do a pinup of your group. Hell yeah. Yeah. I love that. You know? Yeah. So, um, and it was super awesome. So I was like, yeah, I want to give this some shine. I'll put it in there, you know, get some eyes on his work. Um, but yeah, so now it's going to be in second shift 13. So it was kind of like a bonehead move. It's like, all right, guys, yeah. when you're going through your files, make sure your double page spreads are accounted for. Our, our denoted as double page spreads because, yeah, I had that happen with three protectors. I was I was looking through the thing that Lance sent and I'm like, why the hell is it only 35 pages or 33 pages or whatever it is? It's like because it's 66 because he's counting every doubles page spread as one like that makes way more sense you know yeah um it's since since the beer's starting to kick in it's time for a stupid semi-related story when you were when you were talking about how you have 27 pages and like how do i get to 28 it reminds me of a, of a some world-class parenting i did with my kids back when the twins were i think about 7 16 17 still in high school and uh, Alyssa was talking about how she was doing this presentation where you have to stand up there, give a speech, have a presentation, and it has to be like four and a half minutes, right? So she practiced it over and over and said, I can't get it any longer than like three minutes and 50 seconds. What should I do? And I said, here's what you do. You get to three minutes and 50 seconds, and then you just cue up a thunderstorm. And then you stand there for 40 seconds and stare at the audience as the thunderstorm plays. <laughs> now if you're thinking that's a reference to slayer's reign and blood you're absolutely correct <laughs> because the the uh, i read i've read multiple books on reign and blood by slayer it's my favorite album of all time and uh and apparently when they walked in the studio on the final day they had done all this tracking done all this stuff and they saw a clock when they walked in the studio and it said like 28 17 or something like that so whoever it is, I don't know, Carrie King, one of the guys in Slayer, they ask Rick Rubin, like, what's that? And Rick Rubin's like, that's how long the entire record is. And they say, that's way too fucking short, man. <laughs> like, like we got to do something about it. So then at the end of their last song of Rain and Blood, they queued up a, 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 a like, like a thunderstorm starting and then just rain pouring down for like 40 seconds. So they got it to like 2902 or something. And then they felt great about themselves. So anyway, <laughs> you know, Hey, Hey, for you parents out there, don't be afraid to ever cheat off that. It's, it's a, it's a great parenting note and, uh, and you know, life lessons by rain and blood that can help your kids out. Yeah. Every episode we'll give you something like that. Yeah. She didn't take the note, unfortunately, but you know, there's only so much I can do. So ungrateful. I know, right? I know. I'm, 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 I'm here with big ideas, and that's the thanks I get. Um, anyway, so my final thing, very small final thing, but I, I wanted to note it, is that I am getting a few pages back, dribs and drabs, of animals. And they look so fucking good, man. I am really excited to see that. Like, this this artist is a great fit. You know, it was it was cool, because what happened was I had the original artist that dropped off, off kind of like off the radar, and I had some of his art that I've tried to repurpose and turn into the end of the story. I got I got one of my buddies to fill in and do art for a while, but then he had to drop out. So now I'm in this spot where what do I do? Well, that buddy recommended a friend of his and said, hey, I got a dude who I think can really help you out. 
So we got in contact. He loved what he saw in animals. So he's like, yeah, I'd love to work on this. Here's my rate. We settled it all. And then we decided it just made more sense for him to redo everything that my buddy had done. So there's really two artists. And and he tried to make it consistent with the first artist. So there's a nice through line there, even though the book itself transitions from one art style to the other. So I think it works really well. But I got some of these pages back and I'm like, man, they're just gnarly. And they're gnarly in the absolute best way possible. This is a horror book and so these things are drawn like you know the stuff is just a bit nasty um, if not a lot nasty and so I was excited to see it again that book is slated for like 11 months from now I'm still working on it and I have plenty of time but uh, man it's cool to just see it coming along and seeing a page come back like we've talked about before and have it be like shit yeah man that is nasty and that's exactly what I want I want this book to be a nasty book and uh, it's, it's working out really well Nice, man. Uh, yeah. my, my last thing, is Mermaid Commission is colored, and it was approved, and it's done. So, all super, right. super quick, no no meat and potatoes on that bone. That's all that was left. Um, but it's so, done. The, but it's the done. ring was thrown in Mount Doom. That was a, boy, I feel like that's been like 30 episodes that we've been, we've been dealing with this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, because one was like, he wanted a gaggle or a murder of uh, oh mermaids. Oh my god! Yeah, that goes that goes back. Yeah, goes and then back. it switched to um, uh, a single one, a uh, Celtic mermaid, and the piece is done. I'll actually put it up. Um, you know, the colors look really good. He approved them, so I'll throw that up on my Instagram. So you know, go oh, to yeah. at Scott Lost. Look look at that thing. Um, yeah. Okay, so we're moving away from what we did during the week to the main subject. So the subject for this week is clarity. Yeah. So this was something I thought of a couple of days ago, and uh, we decided to roll with this, because you can hit clarity from any aspect of the comic-making process. So, Mm -hmm. um, Keith, do you want to start it off, or do you want me to... I think I think this will be an interesting one. Why don't you start it off? But I think unlike a lot of the other main topics... We'll see. We'll see. But my hunch is that we're going to come at it from totally different angles, as opposed to like vibing off each other. So I think it's going to almost be like, like a double, like a double stuff Oreo of content (laughs) where, where we're both going to just throw out a lot of ideas that we have that we see on our sides of the fence. So yeah, man, you set it off and let's go from there. All right. All right. Yeah, that makes sense. I I have a couple of things that go into different aspects of creating comics. Um, The first thing is on the penciling side. So when I'm talking about clarity for penciler, uh, number one, storytelling. Storytelling is huge. Uh, I'm a huge fan of 90s comics. Sometimes the storytelling wasn't so strong in those comics. And fortunately, that's one thing I did not carry over uh, in my style of making comics is doing the storytelling of, of, of that time frame. So make sure the lines you're throwing down make sense. And, um, you know, the you have your directional devices going as well throughout your pages. Um Depending how you're working, if you're working Marvel method, that that would make it actually a lot easier. I'm going to be honest with you. I've worked multiple styles of creating comics, and the easiest way to have the clearest storytelling is doing Marvel method. I'm not saying that you should always work Marvel method, but if you're new to penciling, it's kind of a good idea because you have a story idea in your brain, and you just go through the process. What's this character doing? Okay, he's running along the rooftops, jumping here, jumping there, and then he sees a incident going down on the street, and he jumps down, and, you know, the fight ensues, and blah, blah, blah. So you just want to make sure that's as clear and precise as possible, and definitely with your action, 
make sure people understand what's going on. Because I've read something recently, I had no clue what was going on. The writing was very good, the art was good, but the storytelling in the art was not. Um, it was like they never saw a fight before. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to throw down a little bit on the Marvel Method thing. Because what's cool about Marvel Method is that it, it, it allows you to reset expectations at steps through the process. You know, if you have a script, a traditional script, and then the artist draws the script. So let's say you're just doing a typical artist-writer collaboration. And maybe you don't know each other. That'll make it even better. So you, the writer, send the script. The artist then draws the script. And then you go in and drop in all of your dialogue or a letterer drops in all your dialogue on top of that script. That's fine. It works. But what I think you're going to find is once you get that, if like, let's say... Let's say you're doing the lettering, Mr. Writer, like like I do. And like a lot of people do. Like Chris Dreyer does. What you're going to see is that it loses something. Because the art has added a new dynamic and you haven't adapted to it. You've just stayed on version 1.0. And that's what's cool about Marvel Method. Marvel Method almost treats every step of it as novel. You know, you you throw this idea to the artist and the artist throws it back to you. And then you really do the dialogue. Now, of course, you've already written the dialogue, but it gives you the excuse to be adaptive and change up the shit the way you're doing it. That's what's so cool about it. So whether, you know, really, as long as you're being adaptive with the dialogue and you're you're fixing it and changing it as the art is dictating, because I, I can't remember getting art back and having it not change something a little bit. A lot of those somethings are fantastic because you'll finally see this and you'll say like, Jesus, man, that's really cool. I have to capitalize on this and change the dialogue accordingly. So again, whether you call it Marvel Method or whether you call it simply being adaptive, it's up to you. But it's important to adapt through the process so that that clarity is there and that the and that this is a, a, a you know, a, a two, two people doing a two-person race, that it's a an art thing combined with a writing thing and they aren't getting in each other's way they are in tandem with each other yeah and that that pretty much goes with any method um because if you do have like keith said you know he's you're usually doing full scripts right so you're you're throwing those to your artists and then like rory for instance he'll he'll bring something new into the the scene and you're like oh Mm -hmm. shit i didn't even think of that and then yeah. boom, that there's a whole new dynamic to that page that you hadn't accounted for. And it's your job as the writer to go, okay, well, what can I do with this? What can I put there? Hey, this would be better now if I throw in this, you know, and, and so on and so forth. So, and that's yeah. something me and Ed had to go through when we first started. You know, there was like um, something early on where um, Ed was like, hey, um, yeah, so I wrote this, but you drew this. And I was like, yeah, we can change the words. I'm not redrawing that. Mm-hmm, <laughs> so exactly. it was one of those. And Ed was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. You know, and it, it yeah. was one of those things where, you know, we can we can change the words on the keyboard a lot faster than it would to take me to redraw that. So it's just like, unless obviously, you know, it's your project and it's so far out of bounds of what you wanted. Obviously, you want to stay close to what the, the writer's talking about. But in this instance, it was a minor change. It wasn't like changing the dynamic of the story. So it was one of those things where you just roll with it, and you know you make yeah. it, you make it, you make it work, and you go on. From the, from the writer point of view, especially something that you know I've, I've hung out multiple times, obviously with my buddy Martin Vavra. We've become better friends over the years, 
And whenever I hang out with him, we're just talking movies because that's what he does and that's what he's familiar with. And we're talking about collaboration and we're talking about working on scripts and writing all this stuff. And something that he always comes back to is these horror stories of writers that are not flexible. So you need to be flexible. When it comes to these things where writers don't want to be flexible, like, I don't get it. You know, like, you, you're, you're, you, why are you so married to this idea when this thing could make it better? So while it's not necessarily what we set out to talk about, it's an important thing to keep in mind in the back of your head. If you write a script and then the art comes back and it doesn't quite work with the script, Ask yourself how the script can work with the art instead, especially if you like the art. You know, it's one thing if you don't like the art and maybe the artist missed the mark. That's going to change the dialogue from there when you're talking with the artist. But if you're seeing something that's cool and then you drop the same old script on it and it doesn't work, that's telling me you're not being adaptive enough. So being adaptive is important and not getting too married to all your ideas is important and trusting the process Philadelphia 76ers is very important for you to get the best result out there. And also that it does, it does fall in line, honestly, because if you throw your old dialogue on top of this new art with a new scene, there is no clarity. There's confusion. So you want to make sure your writing lines up with the art to give that clarity. I was just having a conversation with my kid because she wrote a play a 10 minute play that's getting made, you know, like it got selected for this thing called play fest at her school and she's working with a director. And we were talking about some of her dialogue. She said, did you read my script? So I read her whole script and I said, Hey, this is really good. You know, blah, blah, blah. And then she's like, well, what are your thoughts on it? And that's when I realized she wanted feedback. She wanted like constructive criticism. So I gave her some, and I basically said this one character of yours, I don't, I think he can do more. I think right now this third, there's three characters, basically. It's sort of a one-act play with three characters. And the third character was really only serving a purpose to prop up the first two. And so my comment was, I think you can have that third person do more. I think you can have that third person really kind of be on their own and, and get the other two people and kind of push them to a higher point, you know? And so I gave an example and I said... Instead of this character just kind of saying the right line of dialogue to let the other two steal a spotlight, let this person be their own spotlight. And so I took one of the person's lines, one of this third person's lines, kind of like the prop person's lines, and I changed it. And I said, now that's more interesting. And she was nodding her head. She's like, that is cool. Or I like that more. And I said, and here's what's interesting. You better not drop that dialogue you had before because the thing that the per- that person number one now says in response to this person, it doesn't work anymore. So by this one person changing just a little bit, it's going to elevate the whole dialogue in the scene. And it's going to make the whole scene better. But now, because now you have three little atoms bouncing off each other in this area instead of one person sitting there to let the other two bounce off each other, if that makes sense. But the most important thing is by changing one thing, you change everything. And you can't you can't get too married to whatever the old thing was because you're going to lose something. And, you know, while we can't proclaim to have inside, you know, information into all these comics that kind of go in the wrong direction for us, something tells me that these kind of things are at the heart of at least a few of these issues where people just get so married to it, they drop the same old dialogue in over something new, and then you end up getting confused as a reader. Mm-hmm. 
So for me, um, when I was thinking about clarity, my first thought is that there are some bits of clarity that 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 are are simple fixes, right? And there's a comic that I was reading, finally caught up on it. I'm not going to name it, obviously. But it jumped around a lot in time. And I found myself confused. There are some things that I think led to that confusion. And one of the things is that no matter what time frame I was in, the color palette of the art was the same. And the other thing is that the, the people who did like the lettering and stuff, they put the times. They would say the time at the beginning of a set of pages, and then they'd say the time at the beginning of another set of pages. But here's a couple things they did not do. They did not put it in a text box. Instead, they just superimposed the things without a text box over the panel. And the other thing they did is very much the kind of thing that Scott's been talking about these last few weeks of like blending the color into the background. So you had similar colored pages with font that blended in just a little bit into the artwork with also some degree of like sameness of characters, blah, blah, blah. But as a result, I just got confused a little bit. I'm like, wait, when are we? When is this time? What's the main time frame? What's the flashback time, etc.? And I can't believe I'm the only person. So that tells me that just this tiniest bit of little more clarity would have helped a ton, could have helped a ton, theoretically. Now, this comic sells a fair amount, so what the fuck do I know? But, you know, confusion is confusion, and I think it's worth mentioning. So, because comics selling a lot doesn't mean anything. Maybe it could have sold more if they'd have been even more clear. So, it's those little things that we encourage you to keep in mind as you're doing stuff. You know, being, like, being clever, having a cool plot, doing all these things, that's important. But clarity... Figure out a way to do it more clear and then figure out a way to be more clever once you have that clear instead of what I might consider like purposeful obfuscation or or stuff where you're just jumping around for reasons that may not totally serve clarity, if that makes sense. I know the book you're talking about and I know exactly what you mean, um, especially when it's set in a time frame that is not not our own. So, like, if you're looking at future time frames and you go, this is the year, you know, I don't know, uh, 2322 or something, right? And then the next next set of pages, it's like, this is the year 27, blah, 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 blah. My brain isn't going to have that locked in. It's just not right. going to. And and, right. and that that might be just me or it might, it might be a lot of people. Like, I just, if you told me this is 1998 and then this is the year uh, 2021, my brain will go, oh, okay. It's way easier to identify and uh, jump forward and backwards in time. When you're doing it yeah. in the future, it's a little more difficult for you to grasp and, uh, you know, get confused. And I do think the coloring aspect, like you brought up, uh, that is something else I had written down, palette choices. So as far as coloring goes, palette choices are huge. So, for instance, in this particular book that Keith's talking about, if the color palette was completely different, than the modern time as to the past time, whatever those time frames were, it would be a lot easier to follow. Um, as far as the lettering being on top of the art, I'm I'm okay with how they were doing it. Um, I think it's a stylized choice, and I'm I'm into it. Um, it's very similar to the Marvel movies too. You know, like they'll just mm-hmm. throw 
big ass uh, letters right on the screen. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm kind of cool with that. It's not a big deal to me, but I think those other things you pointed out are very valid and um, definitely an issue as far as that goes. So if you're a colorist out there, make sure your coloring choices are very clear and concise. You know, when you're doing a flashback, it, sometimes it tends to be more muted or it tends to be more vibrant depending on the scene. So um, that's something to be very aware of. And uh, also directional devices. That also comes into play for coloring. So an, a creator that uses it a lot, and I don't know if it's his direction, and I think it is, because he has a tendency to... It happens a lot in his books, is uh, Chris Bocciolo. So what he'll do is he'll devoid a particular scene of lots of color except for the area that he wants you to focus on. So the surrounding area areas will be very muddy, lots of uh, browns, grays, and, and, and so on. And then the object or the character that he wants you to focus on, they're in color. They're not, you know, it's not blasting you in the face with color. It's a very subtle thing that he does, but it's just such a clever choice that he does it. And uh, that's something to pay attention to and something you might want to incorporate when you're trying to focus in on something maybe in a busy room or a busy scene. Yeah, that makes a bunch of sense. That makes a bunch of sense. So I, I, I basically have two more slightly separate things that I'll get to. Um, so thing number one is sort of related to the first thing in that there was a second comic I was reading that also jumped around in time, except this one had absolutely no way of delineating that you were jumping around in time. You were able to figure out that the scene changed. That much was obvious because... You know, the character was different. Their facial hair was different. They looked older, younger, etc. But as, as I was reading it, I was just thinking like, wow, you know, this, this feels like the kind of thing where I get the feeling the author is intending to either A, make the reader work for it, or B, make the comic seem a bit more intellectual than it that it is, <laughs> you know, um, the famous example that I can think of in literature is Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse Five, where supposedly the way he wrote Slaughterhouse Five was that he had all these stories and then he broke all the stories up into tiny little fragments and then he printed them out, put them on in the on the floor and then arranged all these fragments in this crazy disjointed way that sort of worked. Now. Sure. This is Kurt fucking Vonnegut we're talking about. So, like, it, he can pull it off, but that doesn't mean everybody can pull it off. So, with, with this book in particular, and there are some other books that are doing this, which makes me concerned that it's a trend. There are no, you know, at least this first one we were talking about, there were timestamps. There were things like that that guide you there. That's why my first thing was more about a minor tweak that, like, oh, I missed it because it blended into the background or something like that, or because the color palette never changed, to Scott's point. But with this one, it wasn't there. And it's okay to make the reader want to, you know, it's okay to want the reader to do work and make the reader have to earn it. But to the people out there listening, I would, I would ask you, what's the work you want the reader to do? Because the reader is doing work here. But are you sure the kind of work that you want the reader to do is, wait, when is this? Is this before or after the last scene? What's after and what's before? When did any of this take place? Those are questions that I guess you can make the reader ask. But 
Maybe there's a better question that you could get them to ask instead of that if you just worked a little harder as a writer for it instead of making the writer disoriented. You know, making the writer asking, boy, am I drunk. I just refer to the reader (laughs) as the writer. So, um, so yeah, I'm going to try to edit as little of that as possible just because I'm turning into an idiot before your very ears. You, You want the reader to work. But you don't necessarily want to put a blindfold on the reader and spin them around in circles either. Yeah, um, a perfect example is Memento. So the Mm -hmm. movie Memento, they're doing it for a reason. They are mixing you up. They're confusing you in time and and, and all of these things for a reason. It's the purpose of the story. Now, if this isn't the purpose of your story, then why are you doing it? That's a question you need to ask. Are you being deliberately confusing just because you think it's a cool party trick? then maybe that's the wrong reason to do it. But if mm-hmm. it if it works for the story and it's part of the story, then have at it. That's just something yeah. you need to figure out before you get started on this project and on that particular um, storytelling method. Yeah, totally. I mean, look, like I could chop up Mary Had a Little Lamb right now and make that thing seem intellectual by jumping all over the place, but it's still Mary Had a Little Lamb. It's a simple little nursery rhyme. And maybe if, if, if you're, you know, again, the question I would ask you is if you're resorting to things like that and you are taking a story that's really not that complicated and you're complicating it and trying to make it more than it is, then maybe the problem lies in the core story instead of the way you're presenting it. Right. Um, so the last thing I have written down um, uh, for clarity is lettering. So if you guys have been following along, I've heavily been into lettering the last month or so. And uh, font choices are huge. Uh, Number one, you don't want to have too many fonts on one page. You want to keep it simplified. I would say three at the very most is is what you're looking at there. I think any more than that, it just becomes overwhelming. You're just all over the place. You're in love with fonts is what's going on. So chill out. Just, uh, you know, two fonts if you can help it. Um, Three if need be, right? Okay. Panel or position on the panel. So when you're placing your balloons down, when you're placing down your timestamp, that is very important. Um, Traditionally, you get the top left. That's usually where the timestamp goes. Uh, Modern comics and movies, they just throw it right in the middle. Giant. And that's kind of a cool choice. I've actually done it a couple of times recently where I put it on the right. Just because how the panel is drawn, there's characters there. I don't want to put a uh, timestamp right over one of their foreheads. So I put it to the right. It's different. Um, The first time I did it, I was like, this doesn't feel right. I don't know why I'm doing it. And this happened another time. We did um, the first accidental alien anthology. We all had six pages and a cover. So the way that works out is the cover is actually to your to your short story is on the left hand side. It's not on the right side because the cover of the book is the cover of the book. It's an anthology series. So, you know, you got your uh, your um, table of content on page one. And then page two is the cover to the first person story. And then their first page starts just like a real comic book on the right hand side. Mm. So initially um, I had a, a letterer friend and I ran it by him. He goes, I don't like it. And I was like, it's weird, huh? And he goes, yeah, I'm just so used to it being on the right hand side to see it on the left hand side. It's kind of jarring. And um, I made the decision. I said, fuck it. It's happening. It's, it's, it's all that's how it has to be, unfortunately. And you know what? Everyone got used to it. And so we did three or four of these things. Not one person complained about it because even though you have been programmed your whole comic book life to know that the cover is on the right side, 
you can reprogram your ba- your brain for certain things. So to have the scene open up with the characters on the left side saying something, and then it says, this is where they're at. And then the story keeps going. It does nothing. It doesn't affect the flow of it all. Yeah, it's, it's a little, you know, it, it's not the norm, but it doesn't affect the story. Everything's mm-hmm. fine. You know, like there, there are scenes in, in movies where you don't know what's going on because it starts with a character saying something and then you pan out and you see where they're at. So it's mm-hmm. just a different way of doing things. So keep that in mind when you're creating your comic books here. Be clear in what you're doing, but you don't necessarily have to follow the rules of everyone that came before you. If, if what you're doing makes sense, it's okay to bend those rules. It just needs to make sense. That's all. Yep. There, look, there's a great rule in writing, which I think applies to everything, which is you can do anything as long as you can do it. Like, rules are made to be broken. Fuck it. You can make it work. You can right. make it work, but but you got to make sure it works too. You know? Yeah, so, exactly. You know? um, but yeah, so, I mean, again, this, this main topic is kind of fascinating because, again, we're just both kind of presenting our own things. So, so it's a bit, it's a bit Oreo double stuff, which I like. Um, the final thing that I wanted to talk about actually is I wanted to, I wanted to talk about clarity in a way that making sure it's the right amount of clarity instead of going too far. And in doing that, I think it's a good time to share this infamous, a little bit of this no Vaseline criticism that I got from, from way back in the day, right? Because the general rule of criticism is you take the notes that resonate. You take the notes that that you can't see yourself not taking at some point. You know, you're just like, no, that note's so good, I have to do something about it. Or it strikes a chord so much because I made a mistake that I didn't see, I now have to address it. But when you get feedback from someone for the first time, you know, you're evaluating all of that. And, uh, and so when I, when I refer to this, this infamous criticism from, you know, six, nine months ago, nine, nine 12 months ago, um, this is the kind of example I talk about where I knew that not all of it should be taken by me. And maybe you disagree and that's okay. So for me, I, I, got, I got this bit of, of feedback back and the writer, uh, the guy talked about this idea of something he's calling like the holodeck syndrome. Right. I, I think the way that we would refer to it on a and of course, what he's referencing is the Star Trek holodeck where, you know, you need something and it, it conjures itself up out of thin air. I think more familiar examples would be the, the gun on the mantelpiece idea. Right. This idea of if you fire a gun in Act three, you better have that gun on a mantelpiece in Act one. That's the way this shit needs to work. And next week, we're going to talk about three-act structure. You probably know what I'm talking about, but we'll dig a little bit deeper into that as a nice uh, teaser for next week. Yeah, um, the gun also, another Star Trek reference, uh, Chekhov's gun. So oh, if, yes. Yeah. Yes. So that's, that's a widely known one, too. If Chekhov has a gun in the first scene, he's going to probably use that gun. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so to that point, this person refers to the, you know, this, this Chekhov's gun concept. And, and I'm like, okay, as I'm reading his notes, I'm saying that makes sense, right? But, but here's where he applied it. He applied it to the fact, and I think I've told Scott this before. I know I've told a couple people about this before. He applied it to this scene where I had two people sitting in a restaurant. And then I had them having this conversation. And then my lead character reaches for a glass of water on the table and drinks it. 
And the the person, the editor, the guy who edited, you know, he calls it out and he says, do you see how this is like a, a holodeck syndrome thing? You never set up the glass of water. Okay, so motherfucker, we're in a restaurant, okay? Right. Restaurants serve water. So, you know, this is the kind of thing that you get to make a decision on because you are God of your universe. When you're writing, when you're drawing, you're God of this universe. And so as God of my universe, I'm going to go ahead and pull the trigger on the idea that if two people are sitting in a restaurant and one character reaches for his glass of water that I didn't need at the beginning of the scene to say they're at a table and that table has forks, knives and napkins and a table spread and each of them has a glass of water next to them because that is overkill to me. I'm imagining that at least some people agree with me. I I also imagine that a significant majority agree with me. But that's why, you know, you have to find the spots that resonate with you. And you have to have to also find the spots in the criticism where you're like, you know what, man, this is you're not seeing the novel the way I see my novel or you're not seeing the comic the way I see that comic. And I'm just going to keep on doing it from there. So, I mean, I made and continue to make an executive decision that I'm not going to set up a glass of water on the table. Now, if that glass of water turns out to be a murder weapon to the Chekhov's gunpoint, I'm going to set the fuck up. But if the guy's just drinking an empty glass of water, like I'm picking up a glass of water right now to drink in front of Scott on the podcast. Did I need to fucking set that up? No, it's not important. It's a glass of water. We're at dinner at a restaurant. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Um, unless that glass of water becomes a weapon, <laughs> it was the exact scenario you said. I was yeah. waiting. I was double dutching to uh, to get in there. Um, yeah, the only reason why you would set that up is because it is going to come into play. Drinking right. a glass of water is not coming into play. It's just something a character does. Um, right. If if anyone's ever been to a restaurant, you know they give you water, so it's not something yeah. you need to set up. And I agree. Yeah. I mean, I I said this exact thing to Martin when we were hanging out, uh, I think months ago is when we were talking about it. And he he then grabbed me on the wrist and he said, but Keith, you can't have him reach for his shirt lapel if you didn't set up that he wasn't wearing a shirt. You know what I mean? It's like, what the fuck, man? Do you like, he's like, oh, oh, you're saying they're not naked in a restaurant talking to each other? Yes, of course. You know, like there are certain things you just don't need to set up. So again, you get to make that decision and that's also why when you'll get feedback, sometimes there's plenty of times where you're going to get feedback and you'll be like, yeah, no, not not my vision or I'm just going to ignore this. Right. Just because you get a note back doesn't mean you have to take every single thing. You take the things that matter to you and you take the things that resonate. Right. Uh, one thing I forgot about on the lettering when I was on font fonts, make sure your fonts are completely legible. And that includes uh, the color of the font on the background, whatever the image is on. So if you have a, um, let's say, a yellow font, number one terrible idea, don't do a fucking yellow font. Um, unless you have the proper word balloon around it that will complement that yellow font, but I don't see that shit happening. Unless the word bubble itself is black, um, you really have to be wary of that. And uh, how that's going to look as that word bubble goes through each scene. If the scene is all black, okay, so if the word bubble is black with, let's say, let's say white, because that's something I've seen a lot lately, and to me that works perfect, I've heard people complain about that, I think they're being nitpicky, I can read white lettering with a black, like, I think Spawn might have a black bubble, or, or some, something along those lines, anyway. Sandman did it all the time, man, that's how Morpheus speaks, Morpheus speaks with white text on a black background. 
So uh, just remember that that is going to go throughout the story. So if you have pages that are flooded with black and that character speaking on those pages, it's going to affect it. So it's just something you need to think ahead of and uh, just make sure you're you're preparing yourself and paying attention uh, to the problems that may arise. And and that's that's kind of the basis of clarity is you have to look ahead for all of these problems that might come up. Um, one other thing, and Keith mentioned it, and it made me want to hop in there. Um, there's there's being there's clarifying, but there's also handholding, and that's something that you do not want to do. Um, you want to get to a point where you're not spoon feeding everything to your reader. Like it's a visual medium. So if people, if this guy's throwing a bomb and it flies into the crowd or whatever, you don't need someone to go, hey, he threw that bomb into the crowd. It's like, yeah, we saw it. You're, you're, that's hand-holding. We don't need you to do that. If your artist is good, let him tell the story visually. And then you can have characters react to what happened, but there's no reason for you to narrate what the character just did. So uh, when you're doing your scripts, uh, so this is on the writing portion of it, make sure you're not hand-holding. You know, you're... The audience is a lot smarter than you give them credit for. So uh, let them think ahead. Let them uh, think about the things that they're looking at visually. And uh, you don't need to explain that. You know, talk about something else that furthers the story along. A little bit goes a long way when it comes to clarity. This is where outside feedback comes in handy. This is where you get outside of your own perspective and you can just get that. So again, a lot of the kind of things we're talking about here, they're small changes. Nothing here is like huge because you've done the work in telling your story up to here. But there are going to be these spots where things might be a little bit more confusing than you had intended. This is where you can get some feedback in there. You can make some small changes because so many of these things are small changes. And then you go forward with it and you have a nice clear story that has the reader curious in the right ways and asking the right questions. Yeah. Well, hopefully this section was clear to you guys and it clarified what we were talking about uh you know one thing i didn't want to mention it during all of that because i didn't i felt like we were getting off off <laughs> off schedule a little bit what we were talking about but this actually pertains to it uh chris claremont x-men uncanny x-men with john byrne so i grabbed some what are they called they're like they're from that time frame they're reprints in black and white um and I was reading some of the stories because I, I haven't read all of them. I haven't read, a, honestly, I haven't read a good amount of them. It was before I was really um, reading comics on a regular basis. I think those were the couple of years I was out of comics. There is a lot of characters doing one thing and the dialogue saying something completely different. And from what I've heard, this is why John Byrne wanted to leave the X-Men because Chris, Chris Claremont's dialogue didn't fit what was going on in the story. So, like, I think one one of the things that was uh, uh, mentioned was, like, Colossus pulling this tree stump out of the ground, and he's doing it effortlessly. But the dialogue says, oh, man, that was so difficult to do. But, like, the pictures tell you one thing, but the dialogue is telling you something completely different. So, me as a reader, uh, there was no clarity there. I'm like, oh, man, these dudes were not on the same page. I wonder yeah. if... And, and, like, the funny part from what I understand is the art was done first, and then he would go over with his script. It's like, you're looking at it. How are you not seeing what's going on? Why is yeah. why is this the dialogue? It doesn't make any sense. And right. uh, as much as I enjoyed those stories, there was tons of that stuff. Like, it was, 
it was bonkers how many times a character would say one thing and then do something completely different in that panel or not, if not the panel right after it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I think, I think we've hit the end, right? Like we, yeah, we did the, we did the clarity thing. I would like to take, I mean, so we are, I mean, we'll edit this a little bit, but in the raw unedited form, we're past 70 minutes here. We're in, we're in the bonus time of bonus time here. And while we could talk about comics we bought, we've done that a lot. So let's talk about James fucking Harden. Let's talk about the newest addition to the Philadelphia 76ers. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I know you have to be happy about that because essentially your favorite guy on the team basically quit and yeah. uh, he was giving you nothing. So yeah. what do you get yeah, in exactly. exchange? You get James Harden. That's pretty damn exactly. good. I mean, basically, you could have given me a used sofa for Ben Simmons, and I would have been okay with it, much less a player that has the potential to be one of the 10 best players in the league. I mean, I look, I mean, I, I, you know, Harden, Harden's a schmuck. Simmons is a schmuck. You're exchanging schmuck for schmuck. But one of them's not playing, and one of them is. So, you know, this this is something, in, in the rare moments we've talked about basketball, and this will probably be our only basketball thing, because the Lakers are, they not only stink, they're sad. Yeah. And therefore, I know that, like, look, I wouldn't want to talk about them if I were you. I don't want to talk about them right now. They're just sort of sad, you know, like. <laughs> are you sure you don't not... want to talk about it? You keep saying it, man. <laughs> well, I'm not you, here to you, date. Why are you kicking me <laughs> while I'm down? Hey, yo, fuck you, bitch. Yeah, I'm, exactly. I'm, I'm fucking sick. Today was the trade deadline. They did nothing. They did nothing. They We're did nothing. stuck with Russell Westbrook, who I didn't want in the first place. Yeah. He is doing everything that I said he was going to do. He's not a good fit. He's a terrible shooter. We need a yeah. three-point shooting. What was the office's uh, idea? Or actually, LeBron and AD was like, hey, three-point shooting, you know who we need? Russell fucking Westbrook. And yeah, so this season has gone exactly how it should go. Yeah. Well, okay, but it, it shouldn't have gone this bad, dude. Like, they should be four games over 500 or something like that instead of four games under. Now, COVID, injuries, but I mean, well, that's the thing. Like, that's you get everybody, AD, though. You get, but you get AD and you expect injuries. They won the title yeah. because AD was healthy for the whole damn season, basically. And, and they were like the perfect bubble team. Like, like the second that thing went to the bubble, we all should have known, like, this is exactly the kind of thing that's going to benefit a team full of savvy vets that's just going to figure out a way to win. Mm -hmm. And it seems easy in hindsight, but it didn't seem that obvious at the time, you know, but, um, but yeah, so, and dude, I thought it was weird as a Sixers fan, and I'm sure you thought it was like hair pulling, to see the Kings trade Buddy Heald and Tyrese Halliburton. Halliburton was the biggest surprise. Because Dude, he he's is, a beast. He is a fucking yeah. beast. And yeah. it was like, who did you trade? I mean, like, Sabonis yeah. is really good. But yeah. Halliburton, I thought they were going to trade Fox. Because Fox is, to your point, he's been the same guy since he's been in the league. So yeah. why don't you get off of him? Because he's not improving. Yeah. Get some pieces. You could probably have gotten Sabonis for Fox. Why yeah. why would you keep Halliburton? He's on a rookie yeah. contract. It's insane. Yeah. And, and and that oh, sorry, and and like that was the thing that was reported was like there was a lot of teams that just thought he wasn't in the mix because he was playing so well, so they didn't even offer them anything because they wanted Halliburton, but they just figured there's no way they'll ever let them go. But but <laughs> guess no, yeah. but guess what? Keith, they're the Sacramento Kings, of they're course the Kings. they did. 
Oh yeah, of course, of course, yeah, yeah. Other teams are like, oh, they're not, they're not that fucking stupid that they get rid of Tyrese Halliburton. No, they're exactly that fucking stupid. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, that I was, I was shocked when I saw that. Like, I thought Buddy Heald was a legit trade piece, and so to have, I mean, he's the kind of player that you, as a Lakers fan, have been wanting to have on your team. He's the kind of player that, dude, I'd have taken, I could taken Halliburton and Buddy Heald for Simmons. I'm fine with that. Let's go. You know, like we're built for today and for the future. Now, Harden, we're built for today and maybe next year, and then we figure it out. So you just hope that you're going to get a title one, one or two, you know, one of those years. Yeah, but but that was more than you guys were getting out of Simmons. You know what I mean? We were getting he was done. He's like, I'm not coming back. And and so yeah, to get someone of Harden's caliber, I would say the one thing that kind of is like. It's a little it's a little one-sided for the Nets is they also got Seth Curry and Drummond. So they needed a new center and they needed yeah. a shooter and they got both of those things. So yeah. it's a it was a good trade for both. You guys got better obviously, like quite quite a bit better, but you also lost one of your perimeter shooters. Yeah, but it's weird too cuz I was I I went over <laughs> I was talking to somebody right after the trade happened cuz I had to talk to somebody. Because for me Again, we we've we've purposely kept the basketball like once every fifteen episodes on this podcast because we'd much rather talk about comics fourteen out of fifteen times. But this is our this is our fifteen. I was telling the person for a moment, I had this thought of like, wow, we got rid of Seth Curry. Where are we going to get that shooting? Oh, I know where. James Harden. That's where we're <laughs> going to get the shooting. True. You know? So so yes, it's weird to see Seth Curry go. But you you got James Harden for it, you know, and more importantly, as a as a Sixers idiot, we kept Tyrese Maxey and we kept my man Thibule, you know, like that was that was huge. So more importantly for me, like this is the first day and I think that's the reason I want to talk about this. And I'm talking about it today. Who knows? By the time that this airs, I might be like, fuck the Sixers. They may have already (laughs) fucked this up somehow, you know, but but right now, what I'm happy about is this is the first time this year where I felt like, okay, I know who my team is. I know who I can root for. I'm ready to buy League Pass again. <laughs> you know, like I texted, I think you and two or three other people today, I can buy League Pass now. Because yeah. now now the Sixers I watch is the Sixers that I'm like, what am I learning how much am I enjoying myself? Like, what does this team look like? So now the team is fully formed and I can actually start to root for them as opposed to, well, this is sort of what they are, but they're in like a weird in-between state, you know? Yeah, and that's uh, the opposite of what's going on with the Lakers. They've been so miserable to watch. This is the least amount of basketball that I've watched in 10 years. Yeah. I have I have not watched this little basketball in ten years. It's so crazy. Um, it's crazy. By the time I check on the score, we're getting blown out. So I'm like, there's no point. I I was having a good life until I just saw the score. Why would I, you know, why why would I do that to myself? Why would I turn this exactly. piece of shit on and uh, just exactly. get more upset? You know, it's just like, yeah, I can watch my guy Malik Monk tear it up, but that's beyond that. We're still eating a bag of dicks from uh, the Trailblazers <laughs> exactly. without Damian Lillard. <laughs> It's like, no, I don't want to do this. I'm so happy Malik Monk was plus 11 in his four minutes, you know, but unfortunately we have to play 44 other minutes of basketball. Yeah, that that's crazy. All right, let's let's talk a little comics. Um, I, 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 we don't need to review. Maybe next week we go back to like reviewing what we bought and stuff, but I wanted to talk about 
this fact that like I thought I was being clever hunting. So I'm still hunting for these books that I love. And the good news is I'm getting them cheap. So I have zero problem talking about the fact that I cleaned up my run of Arcadia, which was something I mentioned before. Um, I'm about to put a bid in on Scott. You can tell me if this is crazy or not. And, and I'll just do a buy it now. And I know you have no intentions of doing it, but like, I feel like I'm in the mood to just buy up extra copies of infinite Kung Fu, not because anything's going to happen of it, but because like I fucking love it and I want more copies of infinite Kung Fu. So yeah, I, like I can get issues one through five for like 13 bucks. Nice. And why the fuck wouldn't I do that? You know what I mean? Like that might never amount to shit, but I don't care because it's the book I want, you know? So um, Arcadia, I, I cleaned out the run on. I'm close to, I have this, I have a cart ready on Midtown Comics right now because this week, well, I'm a dumbass because I'm not that tuned into Marvel and if I was tuned into Marvel, I would realize that they brought back, like, the only X team I like, man. They brought back Ecstatic, which is the Peter Milligan, Mike Allred book, which is fantastic. It went, like, what, 23 issues or something like that way back in the day? Mm-hmm. It was Ecstatics. It was this idea of a superhero team that was basically a reality show. It was so good, man. I, I still have those episodes, uh, those issues. I never got rid of them. So the fact that they're going back to it with this new series called, I think it's Excellent, X-Cellent, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, thrills me, thrills me. Um, I missed issue one. So right now I have this card on Midtown that has Excellent issue one. And then it has the um, the issues of The Bunker, which is another series I really liked. And didn't follow all the way through on, so I want to clean that up. And then they also have Midtown has every episode of Big Daddy Danger, which is this crazy Lucha Libre comic that I really enjoyed from DC back in the day that never went anywhere. So, like, that's my current cart, and it's intriguing, but it's not enough for me to pull the trigger and be like, fuck yeah, I can't wait to spend 50 bucks on this. You know, that kind of thing. Have you (laughs) ever been in that spot where, like, you know... It's it's good enough and it makes me a little excited, but it's it doesn't have that that pop that makes me be like, oh screw this. Yes, I absolutely need to buy these comics right now. You know, they're kind of hanging in between. Yeah, that's kind of where I am right now. Um, there's some issues like I heard this run of Nightwing's really good, so I've been filling in where I could. I found some in current ones in the dollar bins, and I'm kind of filling them in. And uh, Midtown has some stuff, so I was checking it out. I loaded them into the cart, but. It's not to the point where I'm like, yeah, I'm going to pull the trigger on this. It's like, eh, I don't know. Yeah. You know, so we're and, in the exact same. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for me, uh, I'm in the opposite spot because ever since we've started talking about it on the podcast, every time a new issue of the Golden Age Daredevil gets uploaded onto eBay, and I wake up in the morning and it gives me an email notification hey, all of these got uploaded to eBay. You should check them out. I click them and they have been bought. So it has happened all week long uh every time every time like hey i need that issue that's a great price bought missed out you missed out you missed out and it's driving me insane um as far as infinite kung fu uh, goes i actually have issues one through three in a box behind me and that's thanks to uh, my writer ed he let me borrow his so i'm actually going to check those out so i'm i'm excited to check those out and maybe i will buy the whole series on ebay yeah. Well, I'm going to I'm going to grab I'm going to grab one through five right now after we talk then just to get them out of the way. But yeah, man, it's it's just dope. And and the thing about Infinite Kung Fu is there were only seven issues ever made. 
And um, I'm trying to think who this was. Oh, Martin was here. And I had I had bought two copies of the top shelf reissue of Infinite Kung Fu, where he basically redo the, redrew the whole comic and then added like 180 pages. I gave it to him and I just said, read this, love this. If someday you want to give it back to me, do it. I don't care, man. I'm giving this to you because I want to give it to you because I have two copies of it. I don't really care. But these first seven issues, which which is interesting, is what's interesting to me is that it's not the whole story and it just kind of moves along and it's a little bit muddy and it's like the crude version of the drawing. But I think that makes the comics even more special. So when you look for the comics, just know it never got past issue seven. Issue seven is the final issue. And that's nowhere near what the trade paperback gets you to, but that's the deal. That's indie comics sometimes, you know? You you crank out half the story, and you think you're done forever, and then some publisher says, hey, we're interested in you. Why don't you do the whole story? And then you do it, and you do about 15 issues worth of shit, but the last eight are in one trade paperback, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, man, that that's cool. I, I mean, again, I appreciate um, the reinforcement for that. Yeah, I have a series that I really love, and it's been out forever and i don't know if it's going to ever do anything but i love it it's a maestros and uh, i forget who does it it's the same creative team as post americana and uh, it's i think it's steve's uh scrosh there's some dead air we gotta cut i'm cutting like a motherfucker this episode it's fine Uh, oh, that was right. Yeah, Post Americana. So the, it's called Maestros. It's the same people that did Post Americana. Uh, Steve Scrose, S K R O C E. And mm. I think I own two to three sets of that miniseries because I just I loved it. I was like, this is such a fun miniseries, and they had a bunch of different covers. So I tracked those down. And uh, so it's just one of those books when I see it and it's in the dollar bin, I just pick up extra copies because uh, to, to your point, you might meet someone or you might have a friend that pops in and uh, they're into comics or they're looking to get back into comics and I could hand them a couple of issues and go, here, uh, take these home, read them, enjoy them, you know, and, yeah. uh, you know, maybe you turn on to it, a new fan and then. Exactly. If you, if you never give them back to me, it's, it's okay. You know, just like go love this. Like I love this and maybe you'll get some of that, that. So yeah, man, good stuff. Good stuff. So, um, I had another one final thought because man, we're running over, but fuck it. Sometimes we do that. I'm just, I'm just punishing my future self editing wise anyway. So it's fine. (laughs) I, I felt like now has been a good time, but I've been wrong. That's the headline. The headline is, I was wrong to think that there are some comics that are like in this post-prime, I can get them cheap kind of thing, because I can't fucking get them cheap. Mm. Um, so I finally saw Eternals on the plane. I Well, I take that back. I half watched it on my wife's monitor while I was doing shit and followed about 40% of it. And... I ended up then starting over and watching it myself and got, oh, two thirds of the way through. So I still have to watch that last third with like devotion. But I got to say, man, I really liked it. And I liked it. Jack Kirby in his in his like late stage days, you know, like crazy days, like Eternals and New Gods when he moved to D.C. and just all this weird cosmic shit. I love that stuff. It's convoluted. It's not that great. Yet it's awesome. You know, and uh, and that's 
there's just something I like about the weird Kirby cosmic magnificence of like Eternals, you know? And um, I have my own theories on why that movie wasn't quite the hit it could have been, but man, God damn it. I really liked it, you know? And, and I know I'm, I'm basically like zag when other zig here. Cause I didn't like the new Spider-Man and I really liked Eternals, but you know, that's, that's where it, both of them landed for me, you know, but um, it made me want to get in. It made me want to get into the old eternal stuff. And uh, so I was like, oh, maybe it's a little post prime right now and I can get it for a good price. Nope. Nope. The prices are still pretty through the roof for that. So mm. no, no, that can't be found at a good price yet. And the other thing was every every like month and a half, I just sneak in to see if I can get like a Thor 337 for a good price. But nope, that thing's still off the charts, too. So I'm going to keep on looking. And keep on looking at a few other things I won't mention here. But uh, yeah, I was I was thinking, you know, you just never know when you're going to be kind of like post prime on stuff. But those two things, they're still they're still fetching higher and higher prices every day for no reason I can possibly think of. Um, I, I like the Eternals, as did my girlfriend. Um, I I have a strong feeling as to why it didn't perform as well as the other Marvel movies is because it doesn't act like any of the other Marvel movies. It doesn't feel like any of the other Marvel movies. It all, all kind of almost feels, this is almost insulting to say, but it almost feels like a DC movie, the way it moves. It's just, it's kind of, it's slow and methodical, but I enjoyed it. My girlfriend loves backstory. She likes to know why people are doing things. And this movie's all backstory. So she loved it. She walked out, she's like, that was great. And I was like, I really like that too. And this was already, I want to say two or three weeks after it had already been out. So there was zero buzz for it. Like, and that's a bad sign. It's like, okay, no one's talking about this movie, so it's probably not very good. So we went in with very very low expectations. She goes in with zero expectations because she didn't know what the fuck the movie is, but um, she enjoyed it, you know? Um, so, yeah, I hear you, man. Like, I, I did like I did like that movie is more than most. Um, but I think it, one of those things, honestly, the stuff might go up because now they're going to be incorporated into the Marvel Universe. Because, okay, now we know they exist, why they didn't help when Thanos was doing what he was doing. So it's like, okay, we got all that out of the way. So now they can just be part of the universe and, and see how that works. All right, well, that'll do it for this episode. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, before we leave, remember, hit us up, makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. I made a crazy noise right before I said that. Um, I'm sick. So <laughs> making comics. I'm keeping podcast. it in. Yes. yes. <laughs> There's no way because I, I, it was like tailed into the words I was saying <laughs> that weren't stupid. So even yes. if, even if you wanted oh, to take it out. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. So, uh, yeah, making comics or making comics podcast at gmail.com. Let us know, uh, what you think of this topic, clarity, other things. Maybe we said stuff and it wasn't clear. We, we, yeah. we didn't clarify <laughs> enough. Please let us Irony. know. The irony yeah, exactly. of this topic. So exactly. making comics. And, or, at, hey, send send Scott some of your best home cold recipes. Something that might make his cold better. Although by the time this episode airs, he'll be over it. But God, that's I hope okay. so. For next time. For next time. So yeah, making comics podcast at gmail.com, right? And you know what else you can do? You, you, you know what you can do. You can head on over to Apple Podcasts and you can look up your boys making comics and you can throw us five stars and if you're feeling generous and who doesn't feel generous this time of year give us some words 
Ratings are fantastic, words are even better. In fact, we just got, Scott, if you haven't seen it, we got a really, really nice review last Saturday, I think, because I was looking at it, I was like, this is really cool. And, and maybe I'm like overthinking it, but what was interesting to me was that the total number of reviews didn't change. This was not a new review. It may have been a person that had reviewed us already and decided to actually put some words behind it. Cool. Really, really nice words, man. Maybe we'll we'll just go over it real quick once we stop recording. But okay, I was cool. super flattered. You know, again, I've given the line before. I can live for a week on a compliment. I'm living for a week on this one, man. It was really, really cool. So thank you for for putting that out there. Um, God, we'd name you if we could. But uh, but we're we're using our phones to FaceTime this right now, so I can't I can't risk it. But yeah. Throw us, throw us a five-star review, give us some words, and, and you know, Ed's crazy suggested way of Spotify where you, like, find our podcast and you can just give us stars without comments. All that stuff helps. All of it helps us all in our battle against the algorithm gods, and we are here to beat the shit out of the algorithm gods. So join us in our fight, friends, and, uh, and, and, and do what you need to do. <laughs> and then after you do that, you could uh, find us on social media. At Scott Lost, S C O T T L O S T, on Twitter and Instagram, and Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. Yeah, your boy Keith is at, at Keith underscore Invader on Instagram. I don't really use Twitter much, so do do the Instagram thing and be there. Um, at some point, I'm probably going to phase out at Kadoja Kaiju, and it's just going to all fold into um, Keith Invader. But for now, I do have at Kadoja Kaiju, all one word. And that is all things Kadoja. And uh, yeah, man, we'll see. At some point, we're going to have to launch this, uh, you know, final volume Kickstarter for the first issue. So keep your eyes peeled on that. Keep your eyes peeled on Keith Invader because Three Protectors is coming. In fact, I can say this right now. We're launching the Kickstarter March 7th. So be ready because uh, Three Protectors is on the way and I couldn't be more excited. And you can go to accidentalaliens.com and look for my books, The Second Shift and... Uh... Uh, Wanders of Milisanda, I'm sorry, the um, drugs are wearing off, my cold medicine is wearing off, so I'm getting more, more and more loopy. I'm, I'm delving into Keith's 13%, but just in a way different way. Um, so go to AccidentalAliens.com, look for Second Shift, the tale of minimum wage workers during the day and superheroes at night. Wanders of Milisanda, anthropomorphic dinosaurs versus humans. Pick up our books, we don't have uh, Patreon, so this is a way you help us support besides giving us some comments and five stars. Yeah, man. And then for me, it's KeithRFoster.com. Hey, guess what I did, Scott? I sent an article to the iHorror editors today. There's going to be an article from me, a new one on iHorror soon. So by the time this comes out, it'll probably be up. And I'm talking about some cool horror comics that you can find in the back issue bins. Now, read between the lines. You can find those fucking things in the dollar bins. So keep your eyes on that. That'll come out. Um, it'll be. It will have been. I think released sometime around February twelfth, thirteenth, fourteenth, something like that, depending on how the the machine works. But um, there's some cool comics in there that I want you to check out. And then KeithRFoster.com. You can check out Kadoja, which of course is giant monsters meet H.P. Lovecraft and Three Protectors, which is science fiction kung fu. To be continued on that one. So stay tuned. Right on, man. All right, thank you again for listening, and we'll uh, and we'll guys and catching news and words is is. is. <laughs> All right, we'll catch you guys next week. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah.